Today on the podcast, we welcome my friend Dan Frang. Dan is a pastor of an Axe church in Denver, Colorado. And I've gotten to know Dan in the last decade quite well, and you'll hear about that in the podcast upcoming. He tells an amazing story of their domestic adoption of three children, and it's really, really cool to see what God has done in their life. I really hope you enjoy it. So man, uh, welcome to the Vine Church. We call this the Vine Church Conversations. And basically, we've just been telling stories um, from people that are really interesting and stories that connect to people's discipleship. And so if I if there's anybody that I find interesting and has great things to say about discipleship, it's it's my man, Dan Frang. So Dan, just tell us about yourself. Like, who are you? Um, where are you? Give us a little uh, background into who you are, bud. Yeah. Well, my name's Dan Frang. I'm 42 years old. Uh, I, I pastor a, a church in Littleton, Colorado called Calvary Church, married to a great lady named Kelly who loves Jesus and, and loves me really well. And we have five kids. Uh, our oldest is 19. Uh, number two is 18. We have two 15-year-olds right now and a 14-year-old. Three boys, two girls, and uh, yeah, we're we're paying more in car insurance right now than uh, we paid for our first mortgage. No joke. So that's interesting. It's the teen years, man. Um, it's the teen years. It's expensive. It's really expensive having teenagers. So yeah, for, well, for Kim and I talk about this a lot. Like, yeah, exactly. No one ever told me how expensive teenagers would be. Like when I do like a a young marrieds class or like talking to new parents. I'm just like, y'all need to save some money because it's expensive. Like they eat more, they take long showers. I mean, just like the use of goods in the house. Oh my gosh. Sometimes they get in car accidents um, multiple times over like an 18 month period. Yeah. That doesn't do do anything good for your insurance costs. No, the old, uh, the old, like uh, Dave Ramsey emergency fund goes out the window really fast. Exactly. Deal with that many car accidents in a short period of time. Oh my gosh, man. But everyone's healthy. No one, uh, no one was injured. Everyone's healthy. Yeah. No, nope, no one was injured. Nope. Um, yeah. Two of the three were uh, vicious attacks against parked cars in the parking lot <laughs> at the high school. And Hopefully then, not uh, premeditated. And, no, no. More like, more like just viciously negligent, not paying attention and running into them. And then, and then the third one was, we're really thankful. It could have been bad. Um, our oldest was on the way back from a day of skiing with oh, wow. a buddy couple of winters ago and was driving down I-70 and stop and go traffic. And they, they left the house really, really early and they were wiped out and tired and he dozed off and hit a car uh, from behind. Unfortunately, they weren't going fast enough to really do any damage to our car. But one of the, one of the real, you know, great ways that our son is gifted with car accidents is he's like a magnet for really expensive foreign cars. So I think, I think two of the car, two of the cars he hit in the parking lot of the high school were Audis. And the one that he hit on the highway was a Mercedes. So, um, that's no no damage to our car, but lots of damage to expensive other cars. No, no bueno. So man, uh, yeah. Kim and I talk about all the time how like now, Obviously, we love our kids, you know, that goes without saying, and this is mostly in jest, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to look at our budget and consider like, man, when we're empty nesters, we don't need to get a raise in our jobs at all. And we will have like, no. <laughs> like so much more money just because, uh, you know, I've, you've got five, I've got four. 
and you got these little adults in your house, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember the first time that we were out to eat together as a family and all five kids got grown up meals mm -hmm. and the bill came and it was like, it was like over a hundred dollars. And I'm like, what? Yeah. We're not going this out to we, eat. This can't, what? Yeah. You can't do this. This no. is crazy. No, my kids yeah. think it's like, it adds up fast. My kids think it's like going to Disneyland if we go out to eat. Cause it's just like, if we go to Culver's, <laughs> it's like 65 bucks, wow. you know, Dude. but yeah, Dan, I didn't bring you on here to talk about kids and how expensive they are. Um, hmm. no man. Uh, I love your family and, um, I yeah. love you and Kelly and, um, just some life choices I know you guys have made. And so you guys have a really unique story and I've had the privilege of <laughs> hearing your story uh, over many years. And let me pause. Let's tell the vine about sword and trowel and what that yeah. is. And yeah. um, that's why we know each other. Um, yeah. And we'll come back to yeah. your family story, but you want to just tell, yeah. the, tell the church um, what is this thing we do every summer with our, with the young men in our homes? Yeah, man, it is. It is absolutely just one of the best things that I've been able to be a part of my whole life. I'm so grateful for those weeks that we get to spend together in the summer. Uh, a little bit of the backstory is uh, when I was in seminary uh, from 2004 to 2007, I met three guys, um, Eric Weaver, uh, a guy named Jim Ross, and a guy named Matt Melton. And we spent a lot of time together while we were in seminary. And uh, after, after I graduated, after we graduated, Eric... Jim, Matt, and I went on a mission trip together to Liberia. Jim Ross worked at that time with an organization called Vision Trust, and they help hurting kids around the world. And Liberia was a place where they were looking to expand their ministry. And so Jim was looking for some pastors to come along to hear about and see what the Lord was doing there in Liberia and hopes that maybe our churches would partner with him there. And, and while we were there, um, we, we would spend each evening after a long day of, of ministry uh, just kind of floating together in the Atlantic Ocean. It was really sweet. Uh, Liberia is right on the coast of Africa, and um, we had time just to just to be in the ocean. I think it's the Atlantic Ocean, isn't that right? I think it's, it's yeah. the Atlantic on that yep. side of Africa. Yep. Exactly. Um, didn't know if you had any like hardcore geography people who'd be listening and be like, "This <laughs> oh, guy's an oh, idiot." Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is the Pacific Ocean, no, Atlantic <laughs> Ocean. And one night we were out floating in the ocean, just talking about our stories and talking about growing up and just the topic of manhood came up and, and specifically all three of us um, or four of us, you know, didn't have dads in our life who, who taught us about what it means to be a man, what it means to be uh, a man who loves Jesus, loves, loves our wives, loves our kids. And we really lamented that and together made a commitment at that time that we were going to try to do it differently with our own kids and our own boys. Um, we had, each of us had sons. And so we thought, man, what if we, what if we covenanted together to, to spend time each year teaching our sons about, about Jesus and about what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus and, and, and live like Jesus as men. And, uh, and so that was sort of the beginning of the, of the fellowship of the sword and trowel. We, we took that name from the book of Nehemiah, where it talks about the people of, um, of God rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem and, building with, with a trowel in one hand and a, and a sword in the other hand to fight against enemies that would attack them as they were building. And we wanted that to be a vision for our boys of 
really building their life um, on the gospel, in the gospel, um, building with the Lord's help, healthy marriages, healthy families, healthy careers, and then being men who are willing to fight for what was true and right and good and, and fight for uh, their wives, their kids, fight against sin, fight for, um, for mission in the world. And so we started this, this thing, the Fellowship of the Sword and Trowel. And as we were preparing for the first, first week away together, Eric Weaver said, hey, I've got this friend, Zach, that um, you guys you need to meet. And I think he'd be a great addition to this group. And, and so we, I think, I think maybe on that first meeting, we were maybe talking on the phone together. Maybe it was like a, a group phone call. And, yeah, um, yeah, I think and so. so. And so we've been, we've been together now every week or every, every year for a week in the summer for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, we've been to Canada, we've been to Texas, we've been to mountains of Colorado and, and lakes in Minnesota and Iowa and um, the Black Hills of South Dakota a couple times. Yep. And those weeks of just investing in our boys and, and doing fun things with them, but really just spending time with them and other men who love Jesus and and are, are seeking to follow him. It's just been such a gift and such yeah, a joy. It's been a, it's been a really sacred time and it's something that my mm-hmm. boys look forward to and it's something that will have marked their childhood into teenage into adult Mm -hmm. you know so we could talk we could do a whole podcast on that and maybe we should uh in the future but man thanks for sharing that and but i I wanted to talk to you dan about adoption and Mm -hmm. and you guys have a really amazing adoption story that uh we had we had eric weaver actually on a couple weeks ago and he Mm -hmm. talked about uh international adoption and their experience in China, but you guys have um, chosen domestic adoption. And so maybe you could just start here, Dan, like, like why was adoption even on the radar for you and Kelly in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Before this call, I, w- I talked to Kelly on the phone because I wanted to make sure I didn't misquote her or misrepresent her in her, her part of the story. And I, I wanted to just hear again from her where that all began in her heart and life. And, and so, you know, for both of us, it really was a process. Um, and it was a process of a number of, of providential things happening in our life before we knew each other and before we knew Jesus. And then, and then just growing in our understanding of the gospel and God's adoption of us through Jesus into his family. Um, God bringing providentially other people into our life after we got married and after we started following Jesus who had adopted and, and then connecting us to, um, to people here in Denver who had a heart for and a vision for foster adoption, um, helping kids in foster care here in Denver uh, find homes, Christian homes of, with people who love Jesus and had a heart for, for adoption. So a couple, couple providential things that I think are just sort of important before we knew Jesus. I'm an only child yeah, and growing up, I, I wanted my parents to adopt. I wanted siblings. It's yeah. like I, I wanted my parents to adopt uh, so I would have some siblings and that never happened. But I think even before I knew Jesus and even before I knew Kelly, I thought, man, someday it'd be cool to adopt kids. Um, Kelly Kelly was uh, just made by God with this fierce compassion for hurting people and hurting things. She um, She's one of four girls, grew up on a farm, and her parents will tell stories about how anytime there was a, an injured or disabled animal, Kelly was the one who would take care of it. And she like bottle fed, you know, lame calves and took care of blind cows. And she just <laughs> had this real compassionate heart for, yeah. 
for animals that were kind of hurting and, and struggling. And she, she remembers as a, even as a little girl seeing UNICEF commercials and seeing these kids in other parts of the world who were struggling and starving and saying to her parents, why can't they just come and live with us? We've got food. We could, we could feed them and they could live with us. And so she's just a fiercely compassionate person. And, and then, you know, we, we met Jesus in our early twenties and, and got married and, um, and, and in the early years of our marriage, as we were first discipled, the people who discipled us put a real heavy emphasis on the gospel metaphor of adoption. Just mm-hmm. talking about us being adopted into God's family yeah, through Jesus. Theological we adoption, orphans. Right? Yeah, theological adoption. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that apart from Jesus, we're spiritual orphans. God sacrificed his son, Jesus, so that we could be welcomed into his family and become his sons and daughters. And that was probably the driving gospel metaphor that we were discipled in early, which was really providential, I think. And then when we moved to Denver um, in 2004, we connected to a church plant um, on the kind of far Northeast section of Denver. And the guy who had planted the church, um, he and his wife were a part of a a brand new organization called project 127. And they were, um, they were one of the pilot families to, to walk through this process that was really committed to helping people adopt uh, foster kids in Colorado. And they asked us to be a part of their support team. And, and so we had had these, just these different experiences and different, different um, discipleship seasons where we were learning more about um, theological adoption and, and then met other folks along the way who had adopted mostly internationally. And then we got connected to these folks who were, who were connected to this deal where people were um, bringing foster kids into their home, right in the city and adopting them. And, um, and so going through the process with project 127 um, as support members of the, of, of our friends support team, uh, God really clarified for us through that, that his call for us was, to foster adopt, to, to welcome kids into our home who were in the foster system right here in Colorado and, um, and then to adopt them. And so we connected with that organization um, and were trained by them and, and found out more about just the number of kids in our city at that time that were in foster care. It was thousands of kids in Denver that were in the foster system. And, and in Denver County, there were like 250 kids. This was in 2008. 250 kids who were legally free for adoption. Their parents had lost the legal right to parent them. And, and so we, we chose Denver County to be our, um, our adoption agency or our foster agency because they had the most kids who were free for adoption. And, um, and then we went through some more of their training and got certified as foster parents. And then one day we got a phone call from uh, a lady at uh, Denver County and she said, Mr. And Mrs. Frang, we're, we're really excited. We have a group of children that we think would be a great match for your family. Plural I, I, group. We're on the plural, plural yeah. group yeah. group of children. I was like, Kelly, that's more than one. Children yeah. is implies multiple. Right. And uh, and so then they started telling us about about our kids. And um, you know, there were these three siblings, uh, five, three, and two, two girls and a boy, um, who were who were free for adoption. And and the the social worker thought they'd be a good match for our family. And so we went through the whole process of hearing more about them through a, a formal placement meeting and, and then like a series of, of times where we would go and observe them, um, kind of like 
adoption spying. We went to a McDonald's one time. They were there with their foster parents and and we couldn't interact with them or or let them know we were there. We just got to observe them playing and and then it was like all these little kind of steps to them like meeting us but not meeting us as potential foster parents but just as friends of their foster parents and meeting us as people who were considering fostering and then wow. and then meeting us as people who were considering fostering them and and that whole thing unfolded over about probably five months um, and it escalated to like them, you know, spending an afternoon at our house and then, and then spending um, a night with us and then a weekend and then a week. Yeah. But and what then, were the ages um, again, Dan? And, yeah. At that time. So at that time we had two, bio, we had two biological kids. Noah yeah. was um, six. And then our younger uh, biological son, Isaac was three. And then our adopted daughter, Jasmine was five. Our adopted son, Brian was three. And our adopted daughter, Shammy was two. So, so they were five, just, three, and two. Yeah, littles. These are little guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were little. Yep. And so you brought them into yeah. your home. Um, and so the little ones wouldn't have any memories probably of not being a family of five kids, right? Yeah. Our, our, well, so definitely not um, not Shammy or Brian. Yeah. Jasmine does. Jasmine remembers um she remembers her bio parents. She remembers she was in multiple foster homes um, okay. in her first five years of life. Um, and she remembers um, two of the, fo- I think she was in three different foster homes. She remembers two of them. Um, but our, but our younger two, I don't think have active memories. I think they have formed ideas in their head of, of memories sure. just based on stories that Jasmine has told and even pictures that we have of their life uh, with their biological family uh, that we still have, you know, in our house. And we've, they've, we've looked at that with them many times. Yeah. And so, but I don't think they have active memory of those yeah. years. No. So I'd love to, I really want to come back to the story, but while I'm thinking of it, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions I want to ask you about that, but you said a few minutes ago that you and Kelly really felt called and you felt mm-hmm. like it was clear. Um, yeah. And there's so many young families at the vine and I know some of them are thinking about adoption. Uh, I don't think it's like yeah. a, a deep-seated conviction yet, but they're considering it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a young couple comes up to you and says, I mean, how do I know, like, if I should do this or not? Like, how do I discern um, whether this is right? Like, what's your counsel for them? Well the the kind of simple answer we often give people is if you can if you can not do it don't do it yeah <laughs> um but but if if the burden of your heart is such that you can't not do it then you probably should and then we'll unpack that with them and and so we often tell people like go slow um you know people who know you well um people who can know you better like counselors pastors friends let them ask you a lot of questions about your motivations and what's driving that. Like if, Amen. if what's, if what's down at the bottom is, you know, either some kind of a, of a guilty feeling of I should do this because this is what good Christians do. Or, or I, I heard a story about, you know, someone who adopted a child and, and I feel guilty that I I'm not doing that or I, I should do that. That's not a good reason to do it. Right. Um, tell people if, uh, you know, if there's some, some sense with which, Adopting a child might be, they might, even if they can't articulate it, they might believe that somehow that's going to meet a need in them. Like there's some unfulfilled longing or some unfulfilled something that they think this child is going to fulfill in them. 
um, that's not a good motivation. Right. Um, but, but if like over time in, in ask, letting other people ask questions and hearing stories of, of reading, you know, what God said is hearing what God says in his word about adoption and who we are as his adoptive kids. If, if, um, if over that process of, of prayer and listening and even fasting, they, they discern, this is something the Lord is leading us to. Um, there, there's just this burden from him that we, that we need to do this. Um, right. then we would say, man, you, you need to do it. Yeah. Um, that we, we've said it like this, and I'm sure you've said it this way too, Zach, but we do believe that every Christian, every follower of Jesus is called by Jesus to care for hurting foster orphan kids. Like we all have a responsibility to care for vulnerable people, including yeah. vulnerable children, yeah, but not every Christian should. Ad- yeah. Not every, not every Christian should adopt. Right. And, it, and it's not like God leads people to adopt because they're special or they're awesome, or they've got all these, you know, spectacular gifts that would just be perfect for it. But more like just graciously, faithfully, you know, God, God calls some to adopt. And if God's calling you to adopt, if you have that, that internal burden, and then there's, there's external affirmation from others around you to do that, then we would say, do it. Yep. But if not, don't. Hey man, bro, that's yeah. Like there needs to be like a sense of compulsion, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah, kind of like, burden. we yeah. talked about it. Yeah. We felt it like a burden that we just couldn't shake. Yeah. I and, love the, I love the, and, if you could do something else, then do that. But yeah, yeah, if there's this deep sense of compulsion, like when we got married, it was like, well, I know this relationship isn't going to be perfect, but for whatever oh, yeah. reason, my desires for this woman and I can't not marry her, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like, it just is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and you know, and that's the spirit, the spirit is leading. Yep in ways that are, that are, you know, we just can't like put it on a two by two chart or like, you know, necessarily like rationalize it all out, but it's that, that leading guiding burden from the Holy spirit confirmed through the word and and with others around you that just, you just can't not do it. Like we had to do it. We felt like we had to do it. Yeah. Another way I think about it is just like, um, you know, not everyone's called to adopt, but everybody's called to do something you know, have your faith, your faith manifest somehow in the world. Mm-hmm. And so then I think if your conviction is that and everyone says, yep, I agree with that, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. Just what are your desires? Well, I really desire yeah. to engage with my neighbor who's really struggling as a single mom. Mm-hmm. Great. Do that. Or I really desire yeah. to um, engage, you know, um, the crisis pregnancy center or people that, mm-hmm. you know, speak English as a second language or, you know, yeah. uh, people that are isolated in a nursing home. And so it's not like, you know, we're not doing two podcasts on adoption because we're trying to elevate adoption as the way. It's just a great way. Mm-hmm. And they're really interesting stories. And that's, yeah, and that's we, you, you know, know, Zach, to that end, sorry to interrupt you, bud, but something that I thought of as you were speaking is like, you know, what we've experienced in our church is kind of a growing culture of foster care and adoption. And, and in this culture, there are some whom God has called to adopt. There are some whom God has called to foster, but a lot of other people have just caught a vision for finding ways to support, care, encourage, Amen. and come alongside those who are fostering and adopting. And they're finding real purpose and meaning in that. So like, like when you, you and Kim know this, but like there are times where having somebody who can watch your kids so you can go get four hours of fresh air, you know, and just a break from the grind of what's going on in your house. That is such an incredible gift. 
And I think sometimes people would look at that and go, but man, that's not like, like I want to be hardcore. Like I want to adopt. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand how much you blessed me by just giving my wife and I four hours without children around us today. Amen. Like that was like, I love my kids, Amen. but I need a break. And, you know, yep. and, and we found like this culture, we have a, we have a couple at our church that started this ministry at our church called tapestry. And kind of the picture is like, lives woven together to help care for hurting and orphan kids. And yep. so some of the people are, are fostering, some of them are, you know, supporting through respite care. Some are, some are just, you know, finding practical ways to bless those who are in the early phases of foster care and adoption. And, yep. and it really is coming together in this cool way. And it's this beautiful culture of, of foster care and adoption. Yeah. I, yeah, man, you're, we're reading from the same script, bud. I love it. Yeah, I say amen to all of that, dude. It's a uh, it's it's a beautiful way the body of Christ can come together. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, so, you guys have are presented with the opportunity at first just to foster mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. small kids. Um, yep. Can you share about the environment that they were kind of pulled out of? Is that yeah? Is that yeah? Fair? Yeah. Yeah. And let me clarify. So we, you know, we in Colorado at least we have a law that that when a child is in foster care, even if they are legally free for adoption, the, the parents who take them in, you have to foster them for six months. You cannot immediately go into the adoption process. There's like a six month grace period that, they're, that you are required to step into. So like when we, when we started down this road, one of the things that we made clear from the beginning was our heart was foster adoption, not just true foster care where we were going to have kids with us for short to medium term right. periods of time. And then we would release them to someone else. We really wanted to, to welcome into our life kids who would become legally our children who we would adopt. And so in order to do that in the state of Colorado, we had to foster them for six months. So we had to get certified as foster parents first, foster them. And then after that six month period, then the legal process of moving towards adoption began. But, um, but yeah, we, you know, another, I think another part of the story that's important for people to hear is in, in the, in the lead up to that, as we were working through a, a training process and getting certified as foster parents, um, we had to, we had to work through and walk through some really important questions about the type of children that we would consider welcoming into our home. Yeah. And, and so like part of our story is um, we had a, an infant son who was born prematurely and died. And, and in that, in that process, Kelly almost died. It was a, just a really hard, tragic thing in our, in our story. And that, that loss that, you know, having to you know walk through the pain of having an infant son be born prematurely and die. We just kind of knew like we maybe weren't geared to, to welcome kids with a terminal illness, for instance, sure. like we just, we didn't think we could handle another loss like that. And so right. part of, you know, in the, in the paperwork that we had to fill out, one of the questions they ask is, would you take a child with a terminal illness? And we said, no. Um, but, but other things like, you know, would we consider a child of another ethnicity? We said, yes, we would, we would gladly welcome a child of another ethnicity. Um, would we, would we welcome kids with special needs? And, and through our training, I think what we came to learn really early was, you know, every, every adoptive child, has some special need, um, no matter how the adoption takes place. Um, even if it's like, you know, you and Kim receiving Maya, you know, at birth, essentially, yeah. 
God's design, his process has been interrupted and there's been a kind of trauma that's occurred. Right. And so there's, there's going to be some level of need um, in every adoption story, but there are levels of that need. And, and I think because Kelly's a, she's a, she was a pediatric nurse. Um, I was an elementary teacher. I had a special ed focus. Um, we felt like we were equipped to be able to work with kids that maybe had more need. And mm-hmm. so not, not thinking like terminal illness kind of stuff, but like we were really open to kids that would have long-term cognitive disabilities and things like that. Um, we, you know, we did check a box that said we would, you know, welcome multiple children. There was a, there was a question in the packet, like one, two, three plus, And I was getting ready to check one and Kelly like took my hand and she's like, no, I think, I think you need to check three plus. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's wow. like, yeah, like, 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 can you imagine a child being separated from their siblings? That'd be so hard. Right. I was like, you're right. You're right, babe. You're right. And plus right. I'm going like, what are the chance? Cause the other thing we said was we wanted our oldest to stay the oldest. Right. So I was like, what are the chances there are going to be three plus kids under the age of six? Like, it's probably not going to happen. Right. So yeah. So we, you know, we fill out this whole packet and then we get this phone call. And this lady's going through the ages of our kids and I'm like doing math in my head and I'm like, yeah, it matches. They're younger than six. So let's go find out about it. So we went to this formal placement and at the placement, you know, they, they gave us the full social story of our kid's life. And, and essentially the, the short version of it is their biological parents were meth addicts um, mm. and, and at, at times were dealing meth and were um, in and out of jail um, homeless for, for stretches, living out of their car, living in hotels with the kids, um, with the kids. Yeah. And yeah. And our kids just, you know, experienced really hard traumatic things through that. Um, when our, when our oldest adopted daughter was first, um, like engaged by child protective services, she was, um, I think about 18 months old and she had wandered out into a busy street just with a diaper on and, and cars were swerving around her and somebody pulled over and grabbed her and called the police. And, um, because that, you know, their parents were, I think in the middle of a meth binge and, and not, not in their, yeah, not in their right minds. And so, so our kids, you know, I think in their short life with their biological parents, they, they experienced a lot of traumatic, hard things. Yeah. Um, and, and that's often the case with, with kids who are in foster care. They've, they, they end up in foster care because something has happened or a series of things have happened that have led authorities to believe that their parents are not fit to parent them right now. Right. And, and a lot of that usually involves um, abuse, neglect, drug use, um, you yeah. know, things yep. that are really hard and really hard on little kids. Yeah. So you guys, yeah, it's just it's so hard to even contemplate those things. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most grievous yeah. things in our world is, is, children Mm -hmm. that are abused and are so vulnerable, but Mm -hmm. you guys welcome these three beautiful kids in and you immediately go from a family of four to a family of seven. What was, what was that like? I mean, talk us through that. Like, what were those, do you even remember? Or is it just like a blur, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a picture on our refrigerator of the first day that our three adopted kids came to spend a day with us mm-hmm. and, and all five of the kids are on the couch and, uh, and our two biological kids are kind of like backed up against the back of the couch, just with big wide eyes, like yeah. what is happening right now. Right. And then our three adoptive kids are all doing something sort of crazy. Like Brian, our son 
has this little baseball whistle and you can tell he's just blowing on it as hard as he can. Um, <laughs> Shammy, our youngest adoptive daughter, looks like she's eating the armrest of the couch. <laughs> and then and then Jasmine, is our, our oldest adoptive daughter, is just like head back, just like screaming at the top of her lungs. Yeah, That's sort of what it felt like right away for like um, every day. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and, and I think like, you know, the the first probably six weeks were not, we're not honestly crazy in terms, I mean, it was, it was how we had, we had five kids, six and under. So that right. alone, you know, you're talking about helping five kids put shoes on and five kids, um, you know, you're getting five kids ready to go out the door and, right. and five kids in car seats and just managing that is pretty crazy. But then after that first six weeks, um, our adoptive son, Brian kind of like, I think it felt comfortable enough in our home to just sort of let it loose. And so he, um, he started just exhibiting some really hard behaviors, um, really violent tantrums. And you know, Brian Wells act. So right. it's probably hard to imagine him like this. Cause now right. he's just like such a so sweet, chill. Yeah. Chill. Chill is a great word to describe yeah. Brian. But, but I remember there was a, there was a period of time where in, in the therapy that we were doing at the time, we had to keep track of how many tantrums he would have in a day. And we're not talking just like pouting lip out kind of tantrums. Right. We're talking like throwing himself off of the top bunk of the bed, grabbing lamps to whip at the wall and things like this, you know, trying to, you know, as I would like have to restrain him physically, right, right. I, did, I actually had to take a class on how to restrain my, my children, you know, he's so I wouldn't hurt four them at the time or three, he's three, three. Wow. And he's just like trying to headbutt me and bite me. And, um, there was one, there was one day where I counted 42 of these violent tantrums. Mm. Um, and so like, I'm sitting there on the floor restraining this three-year-old. That's all day. Because if I don't, that's all day, man, yeah. that's waking up till going to bed yeah. and I'm, and I'm holding him and, and he's, he's just throwing this violent tantrum and, and the rest of the kids are, you know, by that time they had gotten used to it. And so, you know, they're just kind of doing their thing, but I'm sitting in the bedroom holding this kid and, uh, you get to the end of those kind of days and Kelly and I are just laying in bed, just exhausted and wiped out and just kind of like holding each other's hand going like kind of groaning in the Lord's direction. You know, when the yes. Bible talks about yes. the spirit interceding as we're just groaning yes. towards Jesus. Yes. There were a lot of, a lot of groaning nights in those early, early days, just yeah. groaning in the Lord's direction and tired physically, tired emotionally. Um, Did you guys feeling? Yeah, go ahead, but sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, go. um, did you guys wrestle with like, what did we do? Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? yeah, yeah, I absolutely. mean that's hard to even say that, you know, because these are kids yeah. and you love them. Oh yeah, but yeah, you know. absolutely. We st and we still do. You know, there yeah. are times where we still do, and and I think the hardest edge of that, you know, there was just the selfish, self-centered edge of that that you're going like, gosh, life was just a lot easier before, you know, yeah. um, for me and for Kelly the hardest edge of that was just seeing the impact on our, on our bio kids and right. just yeah, unpack how, that a little massively. Bit. Yeah. Un unpack that a little bit. Yeah. I mean like that, that kind of day is so disruptive and disorienting, you know, and there's just constant drama happening in the house and, and, and along seasons of our kids growth, that's looked differently. Um, yeah. Now that they're teenagers. Yeah. We had a, we had a really hard stretch a year ago this time where, where one of our kid one of our adoptive kids, um, had a, had a pretty major kind of emotional and even psychological break 
and yeah. and um, was just headed down some really self-destructive paths and ended up in a partial hospitalization for about um, 90 days. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, and and, and our at, at that point, you know, our, our biological kids are teenagers and are able to verbalize how they're feeling, which is like, we hate this, like this, like, like life would be easier if this wasn't happening. Yeah. And, um, and, and so that's, that's hard, you know, as a parent, when you're hearing your children say those kinds of things yeah. and, and when they were little, they couldn't verbalize it, but we could see it right. in their eyes. We could, you know, we could, we could hear it and just in other ways without them, you know, explicitly saying, I hate this, this is hard but just knowing like they're not getting the best of me. They're not getting as much time for me as they would like. Cause I'm, I'm managing a lot of really hard behaviors right now. Yeah. Um, and so th- those are some of the costs that we really want people to consider, you know, mm-hmm. that, that when, when you go down the road of adoption, no matter how you do it, there is a cost. And, and yet the call of God and, and, and the joy with Jesus in the midst of the hard is worth it. Amen. You know, and, and now even just seeing how it's still hard in, you know, in ways, but like God has done such sweet, good things in our family, um, like blurring, really blurring the lines between bio and adopted kids now. Like, yeah. like when we, um, when we dropped our oldest off at college um, in the summer, uh, our, we brought our two adopted daughters along, just him and, and our two girls and Kelly and I, because the the boys, the two boys at home were in football, and so they didn't want to miss football practice. But but when we dropped him off, both of our adopted daughters just cried their eyes out, mm. you know, as they were leaving their brother, and he was so tender, Zach, just uh, holding them while they cried. That's awesome. Um, and this is a you know a six foot tall, two hundred and thirty five pound <laughs> meathead linebacker yep. with a crustache and a, you know the whole deal. <laughs> For those of you who have never heard Zach's term for the teenage mustache, it's a crustache. Yeah. Um, he's got the crustache, but yeah. you know, but he just was so tender to them and so kind. Just and I just that, that's an image I'll never forget. Just seeing my son hold his sisters while they cried because they weren't going to be with him anymore. You know, well, that's a sweet thing the Lord's done. Yeah, Dan, and I've got another one. Like this is like fast forwarding to like the blessings, but like um, yeah. it was the was it two years ago we were in the Black Hills with the yep. father son trip. Yeah, and I yep. don't. And we were, I don't remember, so so people that don't understand what we do, we do these different ceremonies to kind of basically like initiate at roughly maybe 13 or so, and then at 18, like at 13, hey, we're going to treat you more like a man now, and then at 18, we're declaring you a man, and there's mm-hmm. a lot that goes into that kind of ceremony. But it was, mm-hmm. I think, was it the ceremony for Isaac or Brian? I just remember Isaac and Brian... Brian, or I don't remember who it was, but one of them said to the other one, and they're, what are they, like 10 months apart or something? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're six months apart. Six months apart. Yeah. And so you can imagine that being challenging for both of them in different ways. Oh, yeah. But like, they just had such a sweet moment where, I don't even, do you remember what they said? It was something so touching. It was like, you're my best friend, or I couldn't imagine life without you. It was just something so sweet. And I was like, coming out of these, you know, these boys that are typically just spazzing and farting mm-hmm. and like being stupid and you know it's just like this <laughs> kind of like their dads yeah exactly and farting and being stupid. <laughs> we have our moments but uh Absolutely. but i just remember that being like holy cow that mm-hmm. that is beautiful you know oh yeah and they really are zach they are they're really good butts mm-hmm. and now that noah's out of the house um i mean to, the three of them together are really close but the two of them together they spend a lot of time together yeah. and they you know they 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 
play video games together. They play hoop in the driveway together. Yeah. Um, and, and their relationship is it's their brothers. And right. so they irritate each other and right. they, you know, get after each other. And sometimes they get physical and, and, you know, push each other around and wrestle stuff, but around, wrestle, little wrestling, <laughs> um, little wrestling is good for them. Um, but I love to wrestle. Uh, but, but they, um, but they really are good friends. Yeah. And, and I think, um, more than just brothers, they're, they're really good friends and they're, um, that's the sweet thing from the Lord. I think I would say that, that all of our kids, um, biological adopted, all five of them are, are, are in a process of the Lord working in their hearts to grow them. Um, you know, they've all made professions of faith. They've all been baptized. They've all had seasons where they're really growing spiritually. They, you know, some of them are in seasons right now where they're, they're really wrestling with, you know, their faith being truly their own and what that looks like. And how do, how do I follow Jesus now that I'm not in my parents' house anymore? And what does that look like? And really counting the cost of following Jesus. Like my parents made some decisions to follow Jesus that were really hard. Adoption was really hard. Church planting was really hard. Um, Is it, is it worth it to follow him? You know, and, and we're trusting the Lord, we're trusting the Lord with their hearts, but they're in, they're in a process with Jesus. And, and he's so faithful and so good. And, and I think about, you know, our adoptive kids in particular, and just the way that, you know, the Lord in, in welcoming them into our life and us into their life, really welcome them into close proximity to Jesus. Yes. And, um, and like, yeah, some of my, my great, great memories of joy are baptizing my adoptive kids, you yes. know, just seeing, seeing the faithfulness of God to help our kids, you know, put their faith in Jesus and, and yep. begin to walk with Jesus. Those yep. are just treasured, treasured memories. Yeah. One of the things I think about Dan, and I'm sure we've talked about this over the years, but is just the whole idea that, Jesus, when we follow Jesus in obedience, Mm -hmm. there's no Bible verse that says, if you follow me in obedience, I will give you the perfect cookie cutter little family. No. And, um, seems like there is a verse though, where he says like, you're going to have trouble in your life. Didn't he say that? Yeah, exactly. I think he did. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be hard and there's going to be suffering. And, but it's like, I I think, I think when our kids are little, um, and sometimes when they're not little, but like, it's so much easier to believe the illusion that we can control them. Absolutely. And, and if we just read the gr- correct Paul Tripp books, mm-hmm. then a plus B will nail, equal, nail family worship. Yep. Like everything's going to, yep. yeah. And uh, a plus B equals a perfect little family with obedient kids yeah. that love the Lord. And yeah. Yeah. And there's no biblical promise of that. I mean, mm-hmm. of course the Proverbs talks so much and as a principle, mm-hmm that, yeah. you know, and we're going to do our best with those principles, mm-hmm. but it's not a promise that our kids mm-hmm. are going to be just amazing and uh, love the Lord and honor us yeah. as parents. And, and so that's not like a super encouraging thing to say, but it does help me recognize, I think maybe there was some idolatry of family that I had believed yeah. that like somehow there could be a subtle lie of like, if I obey Jesus in this call that I think he's giving me to a, to pursue adoption, then I'll be rewarded for that. And mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, no. I mean? <laughs> you know, no, and, I think, and I think what comes on the other side of that realization is just a deeper trust in and a greater experience of Jesus love for us. And you know, that's that, the reward. That's, that's the, the reward. reward. Yeah. 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 And just him, him with us in the heart and him for us in the, in the pain and him, you know, just as we're, 
going to him with, with a bunch of stuff that we can't control saying, I, I can't make this child really trust you. I cannot, I cannot change a human heart. I cannot help um, someone who's dead in sin come alive in you, but you can. And so I'm going to keep coming to you in dependence and, and trusting you with them and, and believing that, that you are working out a good process in their life, in your time, in your way, for your glory. You're yeah. never late. You're just you're you're just doing things exactly the way you want to do them. Right. Um, and like uh, like one of our heroes in the faith, Ray Ortland Jr., often says, he's a professional. Um, he knows what he's doing, yep. and we can trust him. Amen. And Amen. and I think we've just had to lean harder and harder into that, especially as our kids have gotten older and older, right. and more of their life is happening outside of our home. Right and and yet I, I see evidence of the Spirit's work in their life in, in, in small ways and big ways. And, and I'm just having to trust Jesus and walk with Him as He's working out His grace in my kid's life. Yeah, it just helps me, you know, in those, in those hard days, mm-hmm. it helps me when I remember, oh, wait, Jesus never promised this. But somehow I, I was thinking that. And so then it just helps me calm down. Like, if our family isn't perfect— well, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. I mean, no family is. No. And if we're having a lot of struggle with parenting, whether it's biological kids or adoptive kids, mm-hmm. like that's very normal. And there's no, like, I don't know why I would believe the, or why would I have the expectation that somehow everything was going to be perfect, you know? And yeah. Yeah. it's like, where does that come from? Just, yeah. And it's, and it's like, I'm just continually surprised by just, the grace of Jesus that when I, when I see that kind of stuff in myself and I'm, I'm, I'm made aware of a lie I've been believing, or I've, I've been like sort of living with that misperception of what following Jesus is about. He's just so patient and so gracious. Yeah. And I come to him and, um, and I just find love in him and, and, and welcome in him. And I'm so grateful amen. for how kind he is and patient he is with us. Amen. Uncleheads, you know? Yeah. Amen. Well, Dan, this has been a great conversation and, um, yeah. I know you need to roll, but um, thank you so much for giving time to the vine and our people and sharing your story. It inspires me. I think it's going to inspire a lot of other people. And so, um, yeah, just, I mean, your small act of obedience, you know, whatever, 17, 18 years ago um, Mm -hmm. is leading to who knows what, you know, maybe someone's going to hear this podcast and it's going to help them, you know, figure out what God's calling them to. And so... It's yeah, cool. It's cool absolutely. to see how the tentacles of of you saying yes to the to the Lord um, can can reach out, and so I'm praying that would happen through this yeah. podcast and as you guys yeah, continue and I, to share your story. And, and I, you, you did not ask me to say this, but I'm going to say this. You're a great pastor, oh, thanks, and man. Uh, and you're a great friend and a great brother, and um, and your church, because of the grace of God, is really blessed to have you as one of their shepherds and to help help your folks navigate these kinds of things and, and think through these things in a deep way and in a way that's honest and in the light with Jesus. But you're a gift to your church um, and you're a gift to me and I love you. And I'm super proud to be your friend and your brother. Thanks, man. Love you too. Yeah. All right, Dan, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thanks, buddy. You bet, bud. Talk soon. <laughs>